Hello and welcome to episode 35 of series three of Jerry Jam. Uh, we all know you've been waiting for this one. It's been a long time coming. Uh, we've got three games to cover um, and we're going to save the best to last. We decided that that was the best way to do it. Um, we've got a full house, I think, this week. Uh, Snow is yet to join us as we record, but we believe he is doing so. I've got Russ Brooks, Lawrence Landre, Jim Harley, myself, Ed Price, and hopefully James Eastwood or Snowy soon. Um, we, As I said, we're going to talk about the three games we've had in the last week. Uh, Bristol Bears away. Worcester in the Czech Premiership Cup at home, and then the unmentionables down the road at home on Saturday, and we'll come to that later. We'll start off, though, with the game down at Bristol. Uh, I attended. I actually went down there. Um, and I have to say, just want a, a, a quick aside from the rugby and the result itself. Uh, number one, Ashton Gate, superb venue to watch rugby. I've been there a few times now and it always, always, always has been a really great view. Great view. Never had any problems there. Certainly since the redevelopment, um, the, uh, all of that stuff on offer in terms of food and drink, a little bit pricey, but let's be honest, no, no different from King's Home and actually decent options, decent uh, offerings. Well, you can't get chips in there, which is interesting. Uh, something to do with fire uh, safety, apparently, Jim. Um, hot oil. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so you can get chips outside. You can't get chips inside. But uh, the people around us, really lovely. I have to be honest. I mean, you know, you, you do worry when you go to a, an away game whether you're going to be surrounded by idiots. Um, and to be honest, we weren't. We were surrounded by really nice people. Good good banter, good crack. Bristol won on the day, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed my experience. And I have to say, um, just as a note aside to um, the Bristol supporters, the drink up the, the cider, the cider, whatever you want to call it, by the Wurzels at the end as their sort of winning celebratory song. Um, superb. You know, fair play. You won. You sing a song. You sing a song that's kind of local to you or, you know, it's got some sort of relevance to you as a, as a, a city and the rest of it. Brilliant. Can't, 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 can't argue with it. Right, onto the game itself. Um, I'll start with Jim uh, first, and we'll go on to Lawrence. Jim, your thoughts on that Bristol performance, that, well, the performance in Gloucester. Uh, let's, let's focus on the first 20 minutes because it was fairly intense from Bristol. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it was just a... It was like a throw, throw everything at it type of a, type of a game. Um, really, really, really physical. Um, and yeah, maybe Gloucester weren't winning. I'm, I'm not going to say they got beaten in the in the sort of forward dominance, but they weren't winning. And I think that kind of set the tone a little bit for for that first half, at least. Well, the first twenty minutes, Bristol came at us like an absolute steam train, and yeah. and, and it was kind of in the we, stadium. And we like, defended, 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 defended fantastically well. But they still scored three tries or two tries in a penalty. I mean, that was the thing. It was quite. It, it was. It was quite. Thinking, bloody hell, this is could be a long night. Um, but then Loz. I mean, what I think was really impressive there was we kind of saw off that first initial phase from um, from Bristol, and then the sort of second half of that first half, we looked a totally different side. Well, the thing is, just I'll be quite quick with this because. Don't have too much to say on it because I think I'll sum it up quite quickly with this. Uh, we only played rugby for about 20 minutes and then we spent 40 minutes trying not to lose a game rather than trying to win the game. And I think that whereas 
in some games this season, we've just carried on going and going and going. Okay, we haven't scored. I felt as though we were trying to keep the error count down, not take any risks, not take any chances, not play much rugby. Without being negative like we have been in some games, we just were trying our best not to lose it. And I think if we just play as we were for those 20 minutes to get back into the game, I think we'd have probably gone on to win the game, if not win it fairly comfortably. But unfortunately, uh, it wasn't to be. Yeah, I think we, we gave Bristol too many opportunities to build their confidence and get into the game. Like Obviously, giving them that 17-0 lead kind of massive boost for their confidence. But we didn't help ourselves by kind of not, like you say, Loz, if we'd have kept going at it, then I think we'd have probably scored a couple more. We, I might, think have the best way... we might have conceded one, but I think we'd have probably scored two. I think the best way I can describe it is, and I don't know why, because Bristol rubbish at the moment, but uh, <laughs> we, tri- we we gave them too much respect. Mm. You know, if they were flying high like Leicester or Saracens, I could kind of understand that how we played that second half, but they're not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that for me, again, it, I, 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 I'll let you guys talk about, it's a long time ago, it's over a week ago now, but the... the, the I, I in this again in the stadium is different to when you're watching on television. You don't, although ironically, you see more in terms of the game, you probably don't get as much focus on specific things. Now, uh, I thought the turning point in the ground was when we were in the ground, was that we had three line outs in a row around about sort of 58, 62, 63 minutes, and we lost it. I think we, we lost one, we um, not straight at another one, and I think we didn't, we, we, we got a line out right, but then cocked it up pretty much from the line. I think we knocked it on or we gave a penalty away or something like that um, immediately afterwards. And I think that was a turning point because we that was a sort of first opportunity in that second half where we actually had a bit of ball and we could have done something with it. We didn't. Bristol then, I think Bristol then scored. We then got, again, as Lost said, five minutes of rugby. We ended up scoring again. Three minutes to go. Bristol ended up going down the other end and, and scoring and winning. Um Snowy, just a, and Russ, actually, I don't know how much of the game you saw. I just want to couple up now again online, and what people were saying online was the refereeing was, <clears throat> shall we say, the interpretation of the breakdown was an interesting one. Um, I'd just like to get your views because, again, in the stadium, you can only see what he's given, you can't see what he's missing. Your, your views on Snowy, I'll start with you, your views on that. Yeah, I was trying to remember back a bit, but I, I know I, <laughs> I've seen to remember he was, um. I, I don't think it was sort of one-sided at all. No, no, it wasn't. Um, I have to be honest, it wasn't at all. But so, so there was just um, there was just quite a lot of infringements there, both sides, um, and he was blown up quite easily. I think, I think just the game as a whole. Ultimately, we lost it in the in the first twenty minutes, mm. and the trouble is when we then made the wholesale subs towards the end, um, that had too big an impact on the game, and by then we should have been well well ahead. Um, if we hadn't have just, you know, 17 nil is a, is very, very difficult for anybody to come back to. And you expend a lot of energy coming back from that sort yep. of score. Um, and ultimately that cost us. Yeah. I thought, I mean, that was one thing, uh, Russ, your, you know, your view on the, 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 one of the things we were talking, I was talking to some of the Bristol fans at the ground, they were saying that they were surprised by the selection and they, because it's been a couple of things this year where, Lamb has left maybe some of the bigger, more experienced players on the bench to make an impact, and it hasn't happened. And I think probably in this case it did. I mean, I thought the Bristol subs versus the Gloucester subs 
made far more of an impact um, on, on the last 20 minutes, certainly. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I, I'd also think with the ref, he, he, was, he wasn't great, but he wasn't great for either side. I don't think it was the biggest deciding factor, to be mm. fair. Um, God, it feels a while ago. I think, you know, I'd agree with everyone else. We, we lost that game, giving them such a big lead in the first 20. And then we chased it. And like Loz said, I thought if we'd have kept on, if we would had kept on as we did to get back in it, I think we'd have probably blown them away because it felt like, you know, compare it to this the game we're going to talk about against Bath, it was a bit like that. It just felt like we were coming into it and just going at it hard and playing with that aggression and just not that easing off of the accelerator that we're sometimes prone to do. And it just felt a bit of a weird change. It's like, right, we've got in the lead and like lost it. It's like, kind of, let's not blow this now. It just felt a very weird change. And it's, I think what's frustrating is it's just a chance blown now that result isn't it it's just made it that little bit harder for us really that's the biggest frustration from it it definitely felt like three points dropped and i and and, you know when we'll we'll go on to the league and where we would sit and where we do sit in terms of points and what we can expect in the next couple of weeks but it does mean as an it added it's added pressure onto games that we have to win now where probably if we had managed to hold on or played maybe a bit more rugby the uh, the requirement to win the last one of the, both of these last two games may not have been there. You know, it will come on to it a bit in a bit more detail later. Um, one thing I would say that I think, and it is it is an important note, and, and funny enough, it's my dad. My dad mentioned to me on the on the bus back to the park and ride. Um, too often, as a Gloucester support, when you lose, you you're quite myopic about it. You're obviously going to focus on maybe the the um, deficiencies in Gloucester's performance. And quite understandably, you know, I thought there were certain things. Firstly, 20 minutes, we just weren't, we didn't have enough intensity in defence. We kind of sort of sat off them a bit. Um, and then in the second... Still the last, on the bus. <laughs> yeah, literally on the bus, probably. And then the last 10, 15 minutes, I thought, again, we were a little bit too passive. I think we were maybe allowing the the referee, we were giving the referee the wrong picture. That's what I think they'll be often say, don't they? But one thing I would say is that Bristol, to be fair to him, if you look at, you contrast that performance with all the other performances they put in those last five, six weeks, that's their best performance of the season, pretty much. They were absolutely, that first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes they played were as good as I think a lot of Bristol fans have seen this season. And a lot of the comments I heard around me and, and on the way back were, why the hell haven't we played like that all season? So, you know, you've got to give them credit. They did well. They They, they stepped up their game. I think, as you guys have said quite rightly, if we'd actually maybe played a little bit more rugby. Um, and I think the other issue as well was around the the pack. We didn't get our rolling ball going pretty much at all until towards the end. Um, and it often felt we were not, we were kind of almost trying to use it as a diversity tactic. We were trying to, there's a lot of ball off the top. There was a lot of stuff around the fringes when you've got to have a go at them. You've got to drive them back. They're not, they are, they do struggle defensively. Uh, with Our pack looked very lightweight when all the substitutions have been made. Actually, yeah, I agree. When it came to rolling more time we, uh, and certainly scrum time, we got, we got bullied in that last ten minutes by their forwards, which isn't like lost to this season. That's one thing we don't get done anymore. No, quite uh, right. That's negative one out of the way. When we went to negative two, <laughs> although I don't really see it as a negative, and the reason we'll come onto that again in a minute. Worcester, we play Worcester on Wednesday. Um, in the Premiership Cup semi-final, and quite rightly, Snowy's request that we play a uh, a side that reflects the the, the idea of the tournament, um, the previous games that we've played. Gloucester did that. 
Worcester didn't. Um, we we also, to be fair, we had the Bath game at the weekend. We did, yeah. I mean, and Worcester had a Saracens game, which they weren't ever going to win. So, no. you know. Um, now, I, I just want to, again, I, was, I think, Jim, you were there on Wednesday night as well, weren't you? Um, my sort of initial take on it was, I thought, exactly what happened up at Worcester when we played them between Christmas and New Year, the end, the, in the end, they're a more experienced pack, won them the game. Um, and I thought overall, the, the the young lads did incredibly well, but it was just these lack of experience. I think we probably threw it around a little bit too much, certainly in the uh, early part of the second half. I think we were trying to win it there and then. And at the end of the day, they they the Worcester team ground it out. Now, Snowy, again, uh, I think you were abroad, but so you kind of watched bits and pieces of it, didn't you? Um, watch the whole game. Oh, excellent. Well, I'll let you yeah. go first, then I'll come to Loz uh, about his comments because I know Loz has got some particularly strong comments about what the uh, what what Worcester <laughs> Worcester did. Um, but then, when, then Russ, then Jim again. So yes, uh, Snowy, mate, your your thoughts on on the game overall? I know it's not really that important in the in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, kind of I, mean, I, I don't really have anything against Worcester sort of gamesmanship and and the way they want to play. And it's like you almost just don't want to sort of sink to their level sometimes for some of the some of the things that uh, Steve Diamond pulls. And I think everyone's very much uh, anti-Worcester now after their council game. Mm. Um, but ultimately, we got the five points from that. Um, I thought the young guys did a, a really good job. Um, they, were, they were well on top for the first half. And it, yeah. it was one of those things you always sort of knew was the experience in the Worcester side was probably going to tell at some point. Um, and it inevitably did. Um, but I, I think they can all hold their heads quite high. They put, they put out it was a really good fight. There's lots of things you could see actually, which is interesting, which is mirroring the styles of play that you see in the first team. Yeah. So you can see that there's a real sort of squad um, involvement in now in, in the, the sort of style of play that we're going for. So that's really positive. It's consistent with those players. And I'm sure quite a few of those guys will see in the first team over the next couple of years. So um, I'm not at all disappointed that we didn't put out a more competitive side. Yeah. Um, and try and win it. I think with the Bath game at the weekend, that was a must win. So it wouldn't have made sense to either play players twice or take take away some of the quality from that side to play. Um, yeah, that's it in summary for me. Mm-hmm. Loz, uh, I know. Yeah, so I think you probably, I think you probably agree with Snowy in some in in respect to the game. But I know you have fairly strong views on Worcester, so oh. I'll let you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> not, 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 not much repeatable on here. Um, Do no, it as I agree, best I, as you I can. Agree 100, <laughs> I agree 100% um, with what Snowy said about the selection. And I was I was in agreement with him when he said that we need to do, make that selection. And I still am a, in total yeah. agreement with it because ultimately Worcester, they, this is a trouble with having no relegation, isn't it? There's no way in the world when you're right down at the bottom like that, can you put out all your you know, near enough your strongest team in a cup match in midweek like they did if there's a relegation decider or potential relegation decider at the weekend. They, they needed to win all their league games to stay in the in the Premiership. There's no way they're selecting that team. And that's something that is annoying for me from that point of view. And the decision to do that, it, it it's really against the values of the cup 
you know, you, you look at the other match. I, I did not see our match, unfortunately, but I did watch a bit of the other game. And both Le- Le- Leicester and London Irish didn't pay full strength sides. They both took it to each other. And London Irish's players that are coming through look like they could be well set for the future yeah. as well because they look exceptional. And I fully, ex- even with Worcester's full strength thing, I think London Irish should still go on to beat them if they play that set, even with that team, because they looked exceptional. Um, I, the whole, it, it's, it leaves a sour taste. So he's not, he sort of touched on it and didn't want to go any further, which is fine. And I don't really, to be brutally honest with you, because it's, it's a waste of oxygen. <laughs> it leaves a sour taste that they cancel that one match and then they play such a strong team against, in a competition that isn't designed to have a full strength team in. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's a good summary. Uh, Russ, your view. I think again, you were abroad, so whether you saw it or no, I wasn't. You were no, back was by back that point. That day, ah, yeah, okay. So I got back in time to watch it. Um, I can't really add a lot more than the guys said. I think putting it. I think the one thing I will say is the reason I'm not. I was a bit grumpy um, originally. Um, seeing that young starlet Van der Merve come through in the spirit of the competition <laughs> and dominate. But, um, you know, before we get on our high horse too much, one of the reasons we put 75 points on Bath earlier in the competition is because we went fully loaded and it suited us at the time. And I don't dispute the reasons why we did that because we needed to keep momentum. But, Mm. you know, people use a competition sometimes for that reason. I personally would prefer that it's used to blood youngsters. And I think that's more on whoever organizes a competition to do something that makes it that it has to be done that way but otherwise teams are going to exploit it Worcester haven't won a competition since time begone if this is the best they can hope for the Midlands Counties Midland Counties Cup yeah, I think was the last competition fair play to um, crack on we've got more important competitions that we realistically should be competing against and it paid off this week um, in yeah. the league which we'll come on to and we'll see if we if it works for us in Europe as well. So I think Mm. it was the right thing. Game-wise, I think those young lads will learn a lot from that. Um, They stuck in it. They went well. They made a couple of decisions that might they might reflect on the chance to take three at the end of the first half when they kicked a corner. That might have kept us in it a little bit more. But I thought what really impressed me, and it's impressed me the last few weeks about us in general, is they stayed in the fight. Like It looked like Worcester were going to steamroll us, and we came back to make it a reasonably competitive game towards the end I thought the scoreline didn't really flatter so sorry flattered Worcester a little bit I thought by the end with how we played Mm. Um, Jim as someone else who was there one thing I noticed now obviously it was a very small crowd and there's not a lot you can do about it it was um, I think although I think we you know compared to comparing the semi-finals I think Irish only had a thousand maybe or a couple of thousand for their game that was a really that was a really small crowd yeah and but you know fair play uh that was an atmosphere that I've not, I've noticed actually Northampton, the um, uh, the Worcester game, and we'll talk about the Bath game at the weekend. There was a different atmosphere over the last couple of games. It felt more intense. It felt more vocal. And um, obviously the, the Steve Diamond stuff helped, but I just want to get your view from someone in the shed. Obviously it was quite a sparse ground, but it definitely was quite yeah. noisy. It was actually, um, and I think the Northampton game, which mm. you know quarterfinal, that was an all-pay event. Um, that was really quite, considering um, how, how well Northampton played and how well we had to play to beat them. Um, I thought the crowd was pretty pretty dull, really. It was pretty quiet. Mm. Um, 
Wednesday, the crowd, considering how few there were. So actually, I think it was 9,000. Sorry, I got that right. It was 9,000 there against Worcester, but but still, yeah, but, you know. And, but it was, it was just noticeably louder, you know, the people mm. there and on a school night, you know, kind of putting in that little bit of extra noise and motivation and kind of maybe because they realised, you know, on paper, we weren't, we were really going to be up against it. Um, so yeah, there was a definite sort of 16th man type, um, type feeling for that. And um, um, we'll come on, we'll come <laughs> on to the crowd for the, for the Bath game. Cause that just went up another level. No, yeah, I agreed. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll definitely come back to that in a second. Just a quick aside, um, uh, just obviously Jim and, you know, myself and you, we've, we followed the women's rugby. Um, uh, massive congratulations to England winning the Grand Slam uh, in the Women's Six Nations. Um, certainly you could see the level that they had to go to beat France. I mean, it was during the, obviously it was during the Gloucester Bath game, so I had to watch it back um, subsequently, but it was another level they had to, to reach to beat uh, that French team. And I think they definitely, you know, if we're looking at it, was that 24 games in a row they've won now? They've not lost in three years. It's, someone's going to have to go some to beat England for that World Cup. Um, it's, it's their strength and depth. They could, they, could afford to, they could afford to lose a player here and there. Mm. And, you know, as devastating as it would be for that player to not be able to go to the World Cup, say, you know, there, there is someone else of similar quality ready to just fill that gap. And yeah. that's really noticeable that we have players coming off the bench that strengthen the team because they're 100 percent rather yeah. than weaken the team. And um, if, if a game is tight after an hour, it won't be because our fresh legs come on and you know if if opposition teams try substitutions then they're going to have a you know reduction in quality of their squads um so yeah i think it's it's like you say uh world cup the rest of the world will have to do something very very special to um to really push uh, the red roses um you know and hopefully that unbeaten run can continue yeah i mean i'm looking at i looked at the thing i think the the probably the only two teams out there that probably realistically are able to compete are new zealand and france um and england have very recently got one over on both of those teams uh, i think they put record points on, on new zealand they've beaten france now god knows how many times in a row um new, new zealand are going to be a lot better than they were when we played them the last couple of times. I think France beat them a couple of times. We beat them a couple of times. Um, they're going to be significantly better, you know, pretty much off the back of that. They had all their professional contracts and stuff done, didn't they? Mm. So, they, um, you know, New Zealand rugby kind of went, oh, yeah, we've messed up here. We really need to invest a bit, which they did. And obviously that will reap some rewards. But it's probably, I mean, the fact that they've got a home World Cup, it's too little too late. They should have done this four years ago. And I mean, obviously COVID messed everything up, but... Um, if they'd have done it earlier, I think the the New Zealand women would be in a much stronger position than they are now, and it's yeah. probably a little bit too late for them to 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 catch up in in the next. You know, how long is it? Um, uh, say, three, four months. Yeah, two, three months. I think, isn't it? So, right. Um, Just uh, go on, mate. Quick call out on the ladies. So, mm. was it sold out at King's Own? Practically sold out. Uh, Fourteen and a bit thousand. I think the reason that I, there was a there was it should have been 15. 
uh, but they couldn't they they couldn't get to 15 because the press there was something to do with the press so they, they right. basically sold out as much as they possibly could and then obviously Leicester the Welford yeah, Road 15,800 I think at yeah. Leicester for yeah. another new record yeah so, now you, you might have seen different to me but I don't think they were particularly heavily promoted those England women's games but those crowds are phenomenal yeah yeah they, they um, certainly they certainly weren't like super discount tickets you know no um, you you weren't getting bombarded with emails from the club and things like that. I think that was quite a natural, kind of sensible ticket price and just a really word of mouth natural kind of. Capacity. How does that compare to what the uh, England women's football? Um, in terms of England women's football, it's, it's, it's actually quite a similar. Well, England women's football, I have to be honest, they've had another maybe two, three years, four years of of development. Um, and oh, more more than that, I'd say. It, well, yeah, but I think particularly the last four years where it's really becoming like you're talking about the WSL and, and getting and yeah. getting routine BB stuff on, on terrestrial television. That's the key. You know, you're getting you're getting these games now regularly on terrestrial television. That makes a huge difference to the type of people in the audience that are going to come and tune in on a tune in and then just turn up on a Saturday. Um the and, club sponsors, game, and sponsors as well as sponsors, course, yeah. You know, if you get a bit of money coming in because you know you've got a bit of TV audience. Yeah. Then, well, then that TikTok. Just I mean, TikTok is an, is a brilliant sponsor for the women's game in the fact that it it's encouraging. You know, it's a, let's be fair. I mean, I'm I'm too old to use TikTok. Um, but I think I am. I don't know. Um, uh, but my you know my interp- my my sort of interpretation of TikTok users is going to be a lot younger than I am. Uh, all of us really, and it's going to be probably a little bit more female led in terms of the type of stuff that it's <clears throat> the type of user that does does use it. Um, and if you're getting a lot of people tuning in on that, it, it can only be a good thing. I, I, I think it's been um, been a long slog for women's sport, and it's been a long slog for women's rugby. You compare to what was it 1991, the first ever World Cup in Wales, and you know they were getting 100 people to games and stuff. Um, this is, I think, the next. If we can get, well, I think there is going to be another women's World Cup probably in the Northern Hemisphere soon. Hopefully, England again. That's going to be huge, and you can see. If you can get grounds like King's Own, Leicester, Franklin's Gardens, hosting Exeter, hosting these games on a regular basis, um, it's never going to probably quite match the men's game, let's be honest about it, in terms of the attendances, but it doesn't have to. It's, it needs to find a market, find an average, an audience, and just go with it. Um, and I think it, it felt, being in the ground for that uh, women's game against Wales, it felt at the time like this was a moment that they've definitely done something here. They've broken through. This is going to be just a, a steady upward curve now um, for, for the women's game. And hopefully the guys, the RFU and women's rugby can capitalise on it. Uh, right. Um, it's interesting, actually, you say about like TikTok. Um, mm. Obviously, I'm, you know, I, I don't spend a huge amount of time on TikTok, if any. Um, but it's like the algorithm. I wonder, because TikTok are actually the sponsor, are they going to throw up? Because they did a little, um, you know, few big hits or fantastic mm. passes and tries and things like that, you know, sort of five, ten second videos, whatever they were. Um, and I just wonder if there's a kind of advertising themselves almost that just was coming up in anyone and everyone's feed because that, you know, like you say, um, if you've got young people that look at that and go, oh, that looks exciting. And then, you know, maybe they click a link and they find out a little bit more. I think it's mm. just brilliant to, to, to get it out to that younger and new audience. Yeah, 
Yeah, and the thing is, it's not going to be for everyone. I think that's an important thing to state. Um, in the same way that men's rugby isn't for everyone. Let's be honest, it's it's a, it's kind of still a niche sport in, in this country. Um, uh, you know, sizable following, but not huge compared to certainly football. Um, you just find your, you find your following, you find your audience, and you target that audience and see what happens. And I think sensible ticket pricing is a massive thing. If you can make a family, if you can get a family out and it costs them, I don't know, 60 quid, for three kids or four kids to come and watch a game of, of rugby in a decent venue um, where they can get food and drink and all the rest of it. That's much better and a much better value than going taking a kid to a Premier League football match or going to watch even Gloucester. Um, so it, yeah. it's an important well, thing. My, my father-in-law uh, took, took Max, uh, my youngest, um, because I was at work. And mm. um, so they took, it, you know, took him and he loved it. Um, obviously, we did the um, the women's premiership premiership final, final yeah, Red, yeah, uh, which which he also liked. And I asked him after that, you know, do you want to get a season ticket? Do you want, to, do you want me to put put you on the season ticket? And he was like, no, no, I'm not interested. But after the England Wales game, he then wanted to come again, so we got him a ticket for Wednesday, and he came to that because it was a sensible price. Yeah, you know, two pound two pound fifty. I don't think anyone's gonna. Um, worry about paying £2.50 to take their kids to the rugby um, and I think I'm going to be buying him a season ticket next year because he's he's gotten in through the international and yeah. there, there could there could be hundreds and hundreds if not you know a thousand or so young supporters that are the next lot of young adult season ticket holders potentially a lot of people weren't happy at paying two pound fifty for a kid's ticket, but I don't know if that's on the agenda for today's podcast. <laughs> well, come on. We, might, we might have to come back to that at the end of the season. There's a few things I've got, I've got a list of a I've got a list of like twenty things that we're going to have to talk about in terms of uh, marketing and ideas and stuff like that for Gloucester. Um, just a few suggestions, maybe. Anyway, right, uh, we're going to pause. We're going to come back, and we are going to talk about Gloucester Bath, which I know you've all been looking forward to, and I know we all have as well. So, won't be long. Okay, you've all been waiting for this. We've all been waiting for this. Gloucester Bath on the weekend. Uh, Gloucester, uh, Seth put there for their biggest ever win over Bath in a hundred and whatever many many years. Um, it's the uh, I think it was the worst defeat in the league by for Bath in the Premiership. Uh, it's our biggest Premiership win in terms of points difference. Um, 10 tries doesn't really cover it as because there could have been another 30 points probably um, who would like to go first anyone Snowy go ahead mate I know you're happy to <laughs> yeah it was awesome so <laughs> I, watched the first, I watched the first half in the airport Yeah. the second half sat on the plane which was delayed right just in time for me to watch a whole of the second half. And then I watched all of the summary and everything afterwards in the air because I paid the £8 for the playing Wi-Fi. <laughs> so it worked out quite nicely. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we basically, from the first minute, put our foot on their throats and held it there. Um, and we're getting a little bit nervous, I think, because after 20 minutes, we had got across for one and should have had four. Yeah, And we're thinking at some point they're going to come back into this. Um, but they didn't. Uh, and we just 
carried on pushing that foot on the throat. And probably the most pleasing thing for me was come 55, 60 minutes, we've had a yellow card. We start making some wholesale substitutions. You're like, the game's going to die now. Bath will get one or two tries. We might get another. It will end up quite a lot of points both sides. And we sort of, it comes a bit loose. But we didn't. If anything, we increased the intensity. And you could see there, like, we are not letting them score today. And we're going to keep punishing them at every opportunity. And they did throw the ball about a bit. They yeah. did um, Gloucester, that is. Um, and so Bath, they, to be fair, the last 10, yeah, last yeah, 10 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah. I mean, classic Cipriani, you know, he's, he's not just going to sit and just let the game finish. He's going to try and try and do something in that scenario. Um, and Bath... No, I can't say anything good about how they played. They were absolutely <laughs> dreadful. Come on to Bath in a bit. Stay on Gloucester. Stay yeah, on Gloucester. But, but, but yeah, what, what I really enjoyed was that even in when we're scoring tries 70 if, in, the, in the 70s of minutes, the players are scoring and it's like they've scored the match-winning try in the 80th minute and not that mm. we're, we're 64 points up. So, um, yeah, probably up there is one of the, the great, victories at King's Zone. Um yeah. with some of the you know the the Munster games, the close bath seven five games. Yeah. An absolute thrashing like that is just as enjoyable sometimes. Um yeah. but just quickly on Bath, I mean they were absolutely awful. Probably the worst side that's ever turned up at King's Zone. But that doesn't take much away from our, our performance because you've still got to put it away and we, we did so in a remarkable fashion. Yeah. Um right. Um Loz and Jim, because you were there, I'm going to let you talk at length in a second. Russ, you weren't, so I'll let you. Um, you just go with your bits and pieces now. Let me tell you, just because I know, I know, you've said it many times that the defeat at Twickenham back in 1990, that was, you know, a, a, a kind of formative. What are they called? Core memory. If you could talk about yeah, Gloucester yeah. and everything, I want to just see from your point of view as someone who was with him watching on telly and how it felt to see us do that to Bath. I mean, just... I think it was just fucking funny. I just <laughs> can't describe it any better than that because like Snowy said, a bit nervous at the start. What's scary is I think we could have realistically put 80 points on them and mm-hmm. been, you know, fair, um, you know, not harsh on them because they were abject. I mean, Snowy says we can't criticise Danny Cipriani. I've never seen anyone want to tackle less. Like when Alamano went through for his try, which gets really overlooked, it was a great try anyway because of Jamal's fucking beautiful When try. I say you can't criticise Danny Cipriani, I mean... I mean, in terms of that one very precise aspect that I was talking about, the rest of his Yeah, games. I was going to say, I've never seen <laughs> someone want to tackle less. I think, you know, it was amazing. Snowy reflected it well for me. I, I think I've said for a while, we really needed to be a team and not let let go. And I, I think I tweeted that. I was like, when we got the bonus point, I was like, we've got to go for the jugular now. Let's, let's really see this home. And that's what was great to see. Um, I don't think you can criticise anyone. Everyone played really well. Even Mian looked average. I think I'll say average because he still had a few weird moments. I don't know what the fuck the throwing the boot thing away was, but the rest that of was it, quite funny. Um, <laughs> to be honest, but, anyway, I mean, it yeah. was, there were some really good performances. I thought it was great that Louis Rees-Summit was so involved and so sharp. I mean, I think their um, their cover tackler still falling over and trying to work out where he's gone from that step. <laughs> Um, Harris, Atkinson and Hastings, that's the best I've seen. All three of them were like 
really heavily involved. I think what was funny was just even when things didn't go to plan, we still scored. Like, to be fair, they absolutely lever Hastings in one tackle and he puts a pass up and Atkinson looked almost embarrassed to score it. That's how shit Bath were. I mean, yeah. he just walked under and you, you could see him like, is this going to count? The, the, literally uh, yeah. the entire crowd, I think, at the same time were like, I'm not sure that's going to count. Oh, it is going to count. Yeah, so, I, so I we mean, work yeah. out the ball got, it, got to him. It was very odd. And it was the way we did it. It wasn't like we stuffed them and we just mauled everything. It was nice. We played some really good rugby and there's some really good tries. And it just mm. sets us up nicely, I think, for the rest of the season now, going into some big games with the confidence that's going to give us. And I think, like Snow said, it was seeing how much it meant to the guys like Ludlow celebrated like he'd won us the cha- like the premiership at Twickenham with his he kept spied it didn't he yeah it's just really <laughs> great to see you'd see how much it meant to them and yeah I, I thought everyone played really good mm. uh, yeah absolutely brilliant to see Loz because uh, Jim's already mentioned that we, we kind of mentioned the the crowd at Bath uh, sorry at the at the Worcester game and it, it I know you didn't attend that so Jim and I were you know we mentioned that it, it felt a bit more intense I, I don't know, from your vantage point, um, you're a little bit more central in the grandstand. Um, you That part of the grandstand is also normally a bit quieter. Uh, so what's your kind of, your feelings of the of the performance, but also the atmosphere generally on the day? It's difficult to add too much more than what Russ and Snowy's added already. Um, the atmosphere was, the crowd were up, what, what, Gloucester were great because they, right from the word go, they were on top, and the crowd fed on that, and mm. were baying, and and the worst, and Bath fell to pieces. You know, just sorry, I know you don't want me to go on about them, but that was a, the reason why we're saying it's the worst team that's ever been there. Now, don't get me wrong, we've been worse teams, but they haven't had British Lions playing for them, and so many current internationals as well have been that bad. Um, but going back to the atmosphere, yeah, the, the Gloucester got on a roll and the crowd latched onto it and it, it was quite loud coming from the grandstand which I, I know um, everyone goes on about the shed and rightfully so because that's where the most of the noise comes from the, the, the grandstand isn't always as quiet as what I think some people make out we, we don't have we got that bigger opening. We've still got yep. bloody posts, which is another subject, which is sort of <laughs> that half, half the sodding game seems to be on one of them um but the, because it's far more open, that the, the, it doesn't get um, co- the sound doesn't get condensed and then forced out like it does in the shed, yeah, and amplified from that point of view. But nonetheless, the crowd managed to make a hell of a right round by me on on Saturday, and 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 Bath were that bad. I sat by, I had two Bath supporters actually sat next to me, and when Bath had a penalty in I think the seventieth minute or something like that or seventy late on in the 70s yeah. and they kicked for the corner I shouted out take the three and the biggest laugh came from the bar supporters in all fairness <laughs> that was just summed it up for them I think Gloucester were superb um, they butchered a few chances the scoreline flattered Bath in my mind I think we should have been nearer 150 mm-hmm. um, so I think somewhere in the 80s would have probably been a more accurate reflection on where the two teams are at the moment and again you can't why do you have to have relegate uh, no relegation I don't I can't see Bath being that bad if there was some if, if the, the risk of their um, premier 
premiership status was there, and I think they would have had a bit, you know, when you, it's all very well saying, well, they could have been playing for Pride as a West Country Derby. They've been rubbish all season. They, yeah, Pride's a great thing, but unfortunately, they are so far gone with piss poor coaching. And you know, when you've got a player of the quality of Toby Falatau looking to rank average out there, he is not, he is a world class player, but he looked bloody average out there. Credit mm. to Gloucester for making him like it, but a lot of that's to do with the Bath coaching at the moment, with how they play it and causing them to play so poorly. And you, you just think you can't see them playing like that bad if relegation was there. And, and it's just you are starting to notice. With the, I, I appreciate the, the the points for relegation with the fact that um, the teams coming up aren't necessarily of the quality. That is required, but Christ, they can't be any worse than that shambles down the A46. <laughs> right. I'll come back onto the relegation point, because I know, to be fair to you, Loz, you kind of raised it in the group chat, and I think it's an important discussion to have about Bath and Worcester and some of the issues that have kind of flowed in the last few weeks from it. I'm going to let Jim have his say just about his experience of the day uh, and his thoughts on the game quickly, and we'll, uh, uh, there's a few other things I wanted to briefly mention, but go ahead, Jim. Um, yeah, well, actually, step aside from the fantastic 80 minutes from Gloucester on the pitch. Um, I remember uh, Ludlow saying that they were taking it as a West Country derby. They were bigging it up. They got ex-players to send video messages and write down what playing Bath meant to them. And I think they really, really fired up the squad. Obviously, they lost against Bristol last week, which they you know, got a bit of a rocket at their arse off the back of. Mm. And so the passion in that Gloucester squad was just another level. And conversely, the passion in the Bath squad has never, well, it didn't exist. And I don't think no. it's ever been so bad. So it's kind of those two things. And you just look at the, the Gloucester squad after the game. You know, they were out on the pitch they had their baby in arms. They had, you know, the kids running around, they, you know, hugging their girlfriends and wives and all that sort of stuff. It was as much a glossed family as I've ever, ever seen. Yeah. And I just think the togetherness of, of that squad of players um, has, has never been tighter. And they are playing for each other. And like you, you mentioned about, you know, they were running in Jamal scores in the 70 something minute. You've got guys running from the other side of the pitch to congratulate them because, you know, especially you know, players like Jamal, they don't score very often. So when they do, it's nice to, uh, nice to celebrate. And, um, and, and Luds as well, to be fair, Luds probably doesn't get a huge amount of tries. Um, it's, you know, some of the other back row guys seem to be sort of steering the, um, the malls and stuff a little bit more than him. So, yeah, just incredible passion and noticeable in the shed. Mm. There were, I was surrounded by this, a lot of the similar people that I've seen for the last couple of seasons. They're rel relatively new in my sort of spot um, on halfway, but there were some 20 something, you know, probably mid 20s guys. And my God, did they sing like. They did not give up. They probably had a few, fair play to them. And it was just constant. It was proper football chanty. Do you know what? I was, yeah, I want to come on to this. And it, yeah, and, it was, but, yeah. and it was, you know, they're just, they were coming out with, you know, different players' names, Santi Santi, this, that and the other. 
And you know what? Sometimes it, it kind of in your head, it rolls off the tongue and it sounds great. And then other times when you've got a thousand people suddenly singing along to it, you go, oh, actually, yeah, that one don't work. So well. we'll scratch that. We'll go for another one. We'll make up, make up another chant. And they were just on the fly. And as soon as they thought, oh, well, that's gone not going very, very well, they'd start up a big old Gloucester Boys chant. And it was loud. I mean, it yeah. was really loud. Um, and weirdly, it was the first game this season that I didn't have a beer at. <laughs> yeah, I, to be honest, and this is the thing, the strange thing. So I, I, um, my sister-in-law, um, uh, it was her birthday at Greek on the Docks. So I had to be sensible and soberish, so I had one pint the entire afternoon. And yeah, uh, I didn't have anything before the game or during the game either. It, honestly, I think probably in a way it might have ended up being that's probably the best thing for us because we actually kind of experienced it sober and experienced yeah. it as it was rather than that in a cloud or a haze of things. I mean, I'm, I wasn't really old enough or you know, 68, 12 when we won then. I wasn't drinking then. I wasn't legally able to drink then and I wasn't even interested in drinking then. So I remember that pretty clearly. I know Loz and Jim. Yeah, Loz and Jim are giving me evils here. Uh, I can't help. I'm young. I'm young. I'm a young, fresh faced guy, you know. Uh, you guys are old and uh, whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah, Russ is quite rightly also giving me evils. Anyway, um, I just want to hey, point on... to see what you look like if you when you're not anything else, said because you look like you've been hit in the face with a spade. If that's Thank you it. very much, Russ. It's that type of love, loving relationship, friendship. I, I, I just, this is what sort of the pod's about. But on that chanting, so that's the... I've never heard that many renditions of We Are The Gloucester Boys in a game ever before i think it was like at least in the double figures it was it was on and on and on and on and on again it's brilliant but the bit that i just thought wow this is good because we haven't had this in a long time which is the chance for the players now you get the ollie thorley one and all the rest of it but the oh santi carreras brilliant that is now a hundred percent a chant that every single time that lad gets on the field that has to be sung and i want i really hope by the end of the season, he gets a chance to do something really good again and the whole ground gets involved because I, I've i always thought this about Gloucester. We are, of all of the grounds and all of the clubs in rugby, we are the most like a football club and it does frustrate me that we don't have more player we chance. We did used to, or, didn't we? We, we did. Like and this victory, is, la, la, la. You know, Junior and Terry Fanalo and yeah. Ludo and all the rest. We had, we the, did used to have this. chant was always a good one. Oli Azam well. chant, you know, and they're not, let's be fair, they're not the but most sophisticated. Complex. We're yeah. not talking, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we're not talking like Liverpool, uh, sort of some of the Liverpool or Man United chants about players and stuff. You know, we are talking quite very simplistic stuff. So it can't to be, be that fair, difficult. We did quite a good take on the Fields of Athen Rye one year against Munster, I did quite like. Do you not remember that you can stick the effing fields up your ass? Uh, oh, I know, I do remember that one. Yeah, sorry, I was just thinking where you were going with that one. I did yeah. the other one. Yeah. The, the that only... was quite imaginative, I thought. The, what the best one I've ever heard by an absolute mile, and it only ever got sung maybe twice at two games. And Andy Gummersall had signed for us, and they started. The, we were up at Rotherham. Wonderwall, wasn't it? Wonderwall, and, and after yeah. all, we've got Gummersall, and I'm like, this is brilliant. Like, this is like the best thing of the shit I've ever come up with. Sung twice. That was it. Never yeah. sung again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he got dropped for Dimitri Ashvili. He did get it. dropped very quickly. Yeah, but then of course he got better, and then we never sung it. So I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I thought it felt just a different. It was carnival. It was an it absolute was, well, carnival atmosphere. I mean, when Jamal went in and then Alamano went in, it was, I mean, I was in absolute delirium. 
like I, I was I mean God help the people around me because I was going absolutely apeshit at that point and um uh yeah it, it was just it was just incredible and I, I don't know that it also felt and I, I one of the questions I got written down here is why do you think it, it, the crowd obviously we beating Bath is important and beating Bath without score and and that level of dominance is important I don't know whether it was a element of like you know it's the first big opportunity since COVID for you know fans to really kind of let loose that might have had something to do with it um, beautiful weather you know, the, oh yeah absolutely, absolutely stunning weather thing. wasn't it I mean um, yeah did, I mean Loz made a good point though and I, I we had to come on to about relegation um, so is it a case that if do we say because oh, there isn't any relegation that that performance the performance and the win isn't as impressive as say when we beat them 28 68 12 back in 2002 or do we care really does it really matter how bad bath were it doesn't matter it it doesn't matter from the gloss from how gloucester played but it it, i think it matters when you look at bath's performance because yes you'd like to say that gloucester bath regardless of wherever either team is in the premiership is always going to be at an elevated standard Mm. And Bath didn't even make it look like it was a derby game. So that was particularly poor. But undoubtedly, if they had something to play for at the bottom of the league, it would have been a different performance from them. That said, what if they were already 18 points off safety? Yeah. And didn't have anything to play. You know, it's yeah. it's just yeah. whatever scenario yeah. you have on the what, day. What would it? have just been the most perfect end of the day oh. is if, is if we had relegated what we'd done them. is we'd yeah. relegated <laughs> Yeah, no, well, that was that, yeah. Where they no, see, I, I don't know. I, as well. I, I, the one thing we're not getting relegated is they aren't going to be that shit again. I, I you just you cannot see them being that monumentally shit. And I think we would all miss the derby, really. Because no, no, I, 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 I do. It's only going to be one season. One season. But that's yeah. Well, is it one well, season? Well, season that, they ain't coming back up. They ain't coming back up with that shit old ground if they ever go down, are they? So this is a point. I think Russia's. Yeah, there's kind of two aspects of it. Russ, you're right. Probably, if you got relegated, the argument could be made that Bass Ground is not suitable. Well, it isn't suitable for Premiership Rugby, but it does actually currently tick all the boxes for Premiership Rugby. And uh, funnily enough, um, you know, that's what they want. They want minimum of 10,000 seats uh, or 10,000 capacity, I think half seats or something like that. Um, and they've got it. So, you know, fair play to them. Um, I agree entirely that the if they got relegated, I wouldn't miss the derby for a season or two, but I would want them back to have the derby. It there's there's it is a very it is it's an important fixture in every season. And although I'd lo- I would absolutely delight and revel in them having to go out and play Ealing in that shithole, uh, or or go and you know a lovely trip up to Nottingham in on a you know, or something like some horrible field in the middle of nowhere that would be brilliant. But after a couple of years, yeah, I'd want them back up. And I, I think the thing is, if we'd have beat anyone else 64 0, the, the counter argument about the rally, it, I don't think it means as much, does it? I no. think for that team, you know, we've been very critical, all of us at different times of that Gloucester team. And that felt very much like that's a team finding its identity for me a little bit. And I think the thing that impressed me most, and we haven't given him much credit at all was Waldock and the nilling in that game I yeah. mean, 
how often do you nil a rugby side? It just doesn't happen. Like Loz said, you know, we've played in Doughty's teams or we're like, fuck it, let's just kick a penalty, get out of here. So we've got something but, on the board. But, but also, yeah, Russell, yeah, that yeah, point. Yeah, and yeah, and then missed the penalty, but yeah. Yeah, just threw the ball forwards. Yeah, but that's, you know, credit where it's due. And you could see it meant a lot to them because they were not letting up. Were they? It was. It's all well and good when you're going forward, ball in the hand, and you want to chuck it around and all get on the score sheet. It's another when you're that far up to just maintain that intensity of defending mm. and putting in some. Because there were some big hits in that game still, and some real good tracking back, you know. But yeah, I mean that Bath team are shit, but still to nil them is is very impressive. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say, lost for me that the moment I thought was really important was when they had that kick in front of the post and they took that line out you did there was a i don't know many people noticed this but before the line out you could see the gloucester players they all got because there was a bit of a delay and i can't remember the reason why but there was a bit of a delay and you could see it was very much kind of i think it was ruin ackerman and ludlow i think ludlow was off at that point wasn't he but there was definitely ruin ackerman laying it into the lads right they do not score today yeah you know this yeah, is not if they take if they take points if they go for a penalty that's embarrassing. If you're doing that to get on the scoreboard, that's probably more embarrassing than getting nilled, if I'm personally honest, as a professional rugby team. But they exactly, do not yeah. score a try. That was that you could see by yeah. the end and of they, it. And they they were was really, just... really, really hard at it. Disciplined in defence. Yeah. They didn't start giving away silly penalties. Um, and you could tell how, how much it meant to them to have that clean sheet, which, like, you know, like we said, at, at that point in the game, it would be very, very easy to take your foot off the gas. Yeah. Um, just a quick note on the, uh, again, we'll go back to the relegation thing. So, because we didn't really, I don't think we've, we had a chance to really discuss this in a bit uh, with all of us. So obviously now it's come to like that Ealing are not, no longer uh, appealing to get promoted. So there will not be promotion. There will be 13 teams again next season uh, in the premiership. Um the the argument and and Loz has already referenced it is that the clubs coming getting up getting promoted have to be competitive. Now he's quite right. I think any of them probably could have been competitive with Worcester and Bath this season because they're both dreadful. And then you maybe even argue Newcastle because they people forget this. Newcastle they, they've still, dropped off big time. They can still finish bottom, and it isn't important to note this that if both like Worcester have got, sorry Bath have got Worcester, I think last game of the season. But Newcastle, if they both lose, if they Newcastle lose their last two games, um, they can finish bottom if if Worcester and Bath both pick a win up, um, which is you know conceivable, I suppose. Um, but the 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 do we think this is the first season where relegation has been entirely off the table? Like previously, that may have not have been you know might not have happened because of whatever. Do we think it has made a really material difference in the whole season, or is it just in these last couple of weeks that we've seen things starting to develop? For me, it's taken a lot away from the season in terms of how interested, just take how interested I am in watching the highlights each week. Like it mm-hmm. feels like what's great about the Premiership, the 12 team Premiership as it was before COVID, is that every single match it felt like there was something to play for even if it was the relegation battle at the bottom it was a european place or it was a heineken cup place playoffs or top of the top of the league and it was because of that because there was always something to fight for 
every game was competitive, even if it was a team that was dominant against a team that had lost a lot of games, you were never quite sure how the game was going to play out. And it feels like for the, the teams at the bottom this season, you just know they're going to get spanked week in, week out, and it's been dull. And if they play each other, I'm not interested at all. It's, no. it's also um, just that you've got the teams at the top playing the teams in the middle and the teams in the middle playing the teams at the bottom. And it's stopping that team getting a bonus point or a losing bonus point, you know, try, try bonus, losing bonus. And, and all those little mini battles within a game that, yes, they're going to win, but are they going to win 5-0 or is it going to be a 4-1, you know? Mm. So that, you know, picking up points, picking up losing bonus points is the difference between getting relegated and not normally, isn't it? And, you know, it's, they're, they're quite fine lines between. If, you, if, if you look, if you look at Bath, right, uh, two months ago, if not more, they'd have had to make some wholesale changes and really look at, right, what are we going to do? What money can we spend? What are our options to try and stay up? But they know that they've got eight months where they can just go out and just be shit and plan long term to mm. return to a better standard. And that, there's, something, there's something not right about that for me. There's, there's some counters to it, though. Snow. I, in principle, I really want to agree with the concept of relegation. I really think it's important. But the trouble is, is who's going to come up, who's going to be in a position yeah. that they come in and then they're going to be... Like, if Ealing come up, are they really going to be competing? No, with no, no. Like Worcester, uh, are they going to be competing? Of course I, I get what you're saying but, for this season, but then it wipes out the next... You almost yeah, can yeah, say but, there's no relegation next year. That's the trouble and, is you're, you're, treating, you're treating the symptom, not the cause. No, I appreciate so, That's what I, I, I completely agree with you. But this is what I mean. There needs to be something more done than just bringing back relegation. It's got to have some more thought that and then the other counter is we were fucking awful last year and look how much difference it's made to us and Leicester would die the year before for staying up so those two teams have taken a more long-term holistic review would would Leicester have changed the way they have and Bath have bought in a wholesale new coach and stuff and they're going for it next year will it pay off we don't know but hopefully not yeah, I, I, personally, I hope not. I really do hope not, Loz. I agree, but it's there's counters, and for me, it's I agree. You've got to tr- you can't treat the symptoms. You've got to treat the cause. We've got to figure out how do we make teams that come up more competitive. Because I know everyone's up in arms about oh, it's a crime Ealing aren't coming up. As soon as their backer pulls out from Ealing, they're done. There'll be another Richmond. There'll be another. London Welsh. Like that sort yeah. of thing. Look at the damage to a lot of London Welsh fans there. Those sort of teams that have gone down that just don't come back. There's got to be more done than just saying, right, we're bringing relegation back. Because Bath yeah. comes straight back up. But what damage does it do to Ealing well, if well, they well, don't? Long, long, long term, it's bad for the game, though. Because if you look at rugby in Australia, where it's it's fixed, they know, they know what clubs are playing each season. They haven't got anything to play for unless they're competing at the top level. As soon as they know they're not playing for a playoff place, the game just goes to shit. The crowds I, disappear. Yeah, no, I, I no one cares. I completely agree. And, and you look at the... the sorry. And, 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 yeah, the, it's been tight. The middle of the table has been tight this season. So there's been a lot to play for. But if it's not, then mm. and, and that, that top six is quite defi- defined quite early. The, the standard of, of play from that bottom six and the crowds and everything will all deteriorate. I, I mean, I agree. That's that's the other thing. I, so I, I kind of do agree. I just think it needs to be improved. Like, if anyone else watched Wasps London Irish, it's you know both like 
had to win to have a chance to come. It was a great game, and that's the two teams near the bottom of the table fighting for a top eight place because it had something on the line. They both had to go all out, yeah. and it was a really good game. So I do agree. I just think there's got to be more done to improve those teams that come up to make it, like you say, so it stays going long term. It does feel as though we've been robbed of a fantastic end to both ends of the table, end of the season for both ends of the table. That this, end of, as you point out, Newcastle could still finish bottom. Bath, or one of Bath and Worcester could have, are probably the favourites to go, but Newcastle as well. This could have mm. been something on it, but at the end of the day, as Snowy said, he's not invested in it because there's nothing on it. And ultimately, who gives a damn what happens at the end of the season, they might end of the table now. It would be nice that Bath finished bottom, but it ain't going to have any effect on anything, is it? Yeah. And, I, and so I, I've always been a long advocate, a long time advocate of pausing. And I, I've always said pausing relegation. And I think probably it's difficult to judge this season in it is as a one season thing. I think if we, because realistically, there isn't going to be relegation next season. Um, because they're going to bring, they want to make it a 14 team premiership. So we're going to have at least two seasons, maybe even three, where we're going to have no relegation. And I think it's, there is definitely, as, as Snowy said, there is definitely issues. There has to be a way of making it more, there has to be something on it, on, on not finishing bottom. Now, whether that could be, if you finish bottom, there is a reduction in your salary cap. Now, obviously, that might be a self. You know, it just perpetuates the same problem. But is that, yeah, there has to be some sort of maybe a financial penalty, or do we say um, that the only the top ten qualify for Europe? So, as in, I don't know, the top six qualify for the Champions Cup, the next four qualify for the Challenge Cup. If you're not in those top ten, you don't qualify for Europe. That's a lesser revenue stream. That's three extra games a season you don't get. You know, the, that, makes, there has, that makes sense. There has to be something, and I, I entirely agree with Snowy on this, that the, that the unforeseen circumstances or the unforeseen consequences of not having relegation. I do think, though, in the long term, that, well, so, shall we say, in the medium term, allowing teams like Ealing or Doncaster or Cornish Pirates to actually say, right, well, we're not, we're not going to make them have to come up, get destroyed every week, go get relegated again and then the same cycle continues again and again and again because they're never there's no way for these teams to really invest enough in the stadium in the in the um the playing staff in the in the development of the youth teams you have to give them opportunities to develop over time so the only real solution in the long term is to make and again this is the problem people go oh we have to have relegation we have to have relegation Okay, well, what if we close off the championship? Because you'll then still get some dickhead going, oh no, that means old Elfabiums can't get promoted. Well, old Elfabiums play on a pit, on a park pitch, and get 100 people along. Cinderford can't get promoted. Well, okay, well, Cinderford played Dockham Road, they get a couple of hundred people, and they haven't got the facilities to go to the championship. And, at some, and yeah, at some point, I, I'm more than happy to say is the championship but at some point we have to say there is no possibility of getting promoted unless you have minimum criteria 
to get into the championship. And that minimum criteria should at least be a stepping stone to beginning into the minimum criteria of the premiership. There's too many teams in the championship that haven't got facilities that are suitable, probably even for that level. Yeah, I mean, but this, a, is, this is the issue, right? Because if you look at, there's plenty of clubs in the premiership now that weren't in the premiership 10, 10 15 years ago. So take Exeter, for example, that are now a very, well, won the league numerous times and weren't, weren't anything 20 years ago. Um, so the, the issue for me is that if someone like Cornish Pirates that have clearly got a potential um, supporter market to go at, Mm-hmm. want to get into the league then they should be putting where the, their money where their mouth is now and developing well, a side that's good enough to actually get promoted because if they can't the do stadium, the stadium very... they keep promising to build yeah, so that's but, the other but, thing yeah but i mean they haven't topped the table so the the stadium questions never had to actually be put on the table because they've got to win the actual league no no i appreciate that but but the financial sustainability of a club can only ever really come from a crowd and so therefore, you need to have a stadium. So you, you don't suddenly build a 12,000 capacity grandstand, yeah. but you build something. I mean, Exeter have done it, haven't they? They just yeah. like, enlarged their stand again. And, and this is... So they've, built, they've built a fair chunk of capacity and then they've added to it and added to it. So that's what, the, you know, Ealing should have done it two seasons ago if they were realistic about getting promoted this year and we... I mean, Elin, e- e- right? So but the they, idea they is that they, need, they should be having three or four thousand a year going into the ground. I mean, Jimmy, the, the, the idea, there, the idea there is uh, there's a there's a big London crowd that aren't going to Harlequins that they can or Irish. That, that's the idea. If that's or Irish, yeah. If that's the case, well, they've got twenty grounds they can pick from. Yeah. No, the problem is the problem. The problem for the the advocates of promotion relegation is that Ealing is not the best. They're not the club they should be focusing on. They really shouldn't be. Jim, myself, and Russ, we went to the Ealing preseason. It is not at any stage suitable for Premiership rugby. And I don't. And and it's clear the people who go on about Ealing getting promoted. No, it's not fair. It's not fair. None of them went to that ground. None of them have ever been there. None of them have ever gone to England because it makes Bath look like the bloody Wembley. It is not suitable. If you want to have a team, not as good as Harper's ground. No. If you want to have, if you want to have a team to back and you want a team to really go for and say these guys should get promoted, either go for Doncaster or Cornish Pirates, but they've still got to win the league. At the, end, at the end of the day, you can't just get and that because that's what you, that's the real danger. If you start getting promotion and relegation, and it's not through meritocracy, so not winning the league, that well, is that, even more dangerous. That than it's a franchise-based system, isn't it? Exactly. But, the, but the, the, and I think the biggest problem is, and you can see it, is lots of people, including DRFU, don't really give a shit about the championship until you do more to develop that league to offer incentives for these teams to start going for it yeah teams aren't going to because they've got to first and foremost they've got to survive there's less money in rugby you see it in the premiership salary caps going down there are less signings there are more players going out of teams and are not finding clubs or they're going abroad so until you start, you know, it's it's on people. More has to be done to develop the championship, really, and make that a viable league. So yeah. then, I got that's that's the answer. That squad well, actually, squad that, that should be happening, shouldn't it? Squad sizes you, are small, are getting smaller. They're too big, though. That they're, they're trying to tighten mm. their budgets. So 
like you say, more people are leaving. Well, actually, what if a lot of those players, rather than going abroad, did start playing in the championship? Surely the quality of the championship would improve. And therefore, if they did get promoted, they wouldn't be whipping boys because they'd be a lot closer in parity. I think and we, 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 were, we were talking about the cup. The standard in the cup is far too high. So that, that's teams, Worcester aside, yeah. putting out a completely second 15 that are playing a very good standard of rugby. You know, we, we were playing Worcester's first team and our complete second 15 gave them a really closely run game. I'm confident that our second 15 would be every single championship side. And, well, and we, we, that, did, we lost to Ealing at the pre-season because we hadn't had any training, basically, yeah. which doesn't really count. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's, well, that's point, something four that, points, whatever it was. that Premiership Rugby, maybe Premiership Rugby is a bad example, but the RFU or whatever, the governing bodies can influence, is making mm. sure that the um, England versus any other country in the whole world has got the biggest depth of rugby talent. Yeah. So but to have needs- tied up not playing in the Premiership it makes no sense. There needs to be an independence of the clubs from um, the Premiership teams as well, because you just hear that London Scottish have just signed up to, um, with Harlequins, haven't they? Um, and it, it, that, that's great, but I know London Scottish got no ambition of being in the Premiership anyway. But these teams, if they're going to be intertwined with the Premiership side, there's, you, they're not going to be coming up anyway, because they're not going to be able to squad that's their own to be able to develop, to be able to challenge. Yeah. No, agreed. Um, we're going to leave it there. I think on the highest, no higher note, though, notes though, because I, I, you know, without getting too emotional about it, Saturday meant a huge amount to me as a Gloucester supporter. Um, it was years and years of utter crap of being thumped by Bath, home and away, and it was just lovely, really lovely to see the Bath supporters running out of that ground, walking out of that ground, looking as miserable as I did as coming out of the wreck, coming out of King's home. Do you know what? That'll do for me for this season. If we don't do anything else, that was the memory from this season. And you never know, it could get better. 175-10, wasn't it? Yep. Yep. On that note, thank you very much, guys. Appreciate your time. We'll be back next week for the uh, Amelin Quarter, or the Challenge Cup quarterfinal. Cheers. Cheers.